Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I wonder when the last time was that you, you came across just an epic moment in your life where you're like, you know what, that's something that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember. I'm going to tell the grandkids about that one. Those epic moments are, are times where you remember everything about the situation. You remember the smells of what was going on in the place where, where that epic moment happened. You remember what time it was. You remember every, I, I don't know about you, but I, I had, um, when I was a kid, I would look up if something crazy happened, like super weird, like there's maybe something illegal going on. I would look at a clock just to see what time it was, thinking, when they call me into court, I'm going to know exactly the time that that thing happened. And they're going to be like, why do you know exactly the time? Because I'm like that. And I asked people in their first service to raise their hands if they ever were a person that did that. Only one person raised their hands, and I felt so bad about myself that I'm not going to ask you if you were like that, because I will continue to feel bad about myself, okay? But those epic moments, you remember everything. You remember, uh, you remember maybe what day it was, even though... Uh, you know, what day I think 9-11 happened. I think it was a Tuesday, if I remember right. Like, we just remember every little detail about those things. Um, and I, I think about, for myself, one of the most epic things that, that I see on a semi-regular basis, I love seeing rare animals in the wild. Stuff, animals that you don't see very often. Now, when we went on that, that Backpacking trip in the mountains in Colorado last summer. Uh, we saw a bunch of things. We saw uh, goats way up high on some cliffs. We saw a herd of elk. We saw, we saw one moose. And now if we'd have seen two mooses, it's not mooses or meese, it's still moose, you guys. Just wanted to make sure that you knew that. I, I, wanna, I wanna make a petition that moose becomes meese like goose's geese. But that's not it, it's just moose. Um, but I love seeing wild animals out in the wild, where they're supposed to be. Um, and for me, the one that still stands out the most is when I get to see a bear out in the wild. I love seeing bear. Um, and you might think, okay, I grew up in the North Woods. You might be like, oh, Kellen probably saw a lot, of, a lot of bears out in the wild. I didn't see a bear in the wild until I was 16 years old. I still remember the night. We were driving, my dad and me, we were driving home from uh, church on a Wednesday night. And you got the high school over here, and you've got a bank over here with like a pond area over here. Yeah, we lived in the North Woods, all right? There's ponds like in, in normal areas that you live. And all of a sudden I see this big black, I thought it was a big black dog walking across the road. I'm like, that's a big dog, Dad. And we get closer, and I'm like, that dog could eat me. And real, yeah, it was a bear coming straight across the street from the high school parking lot. That's a little scary. <laughs> Monday morning could have been really interesting. Uh, but then I, I, the most, you take that level of epic seeing a bear to a whole new epicness when you see a bear and you're not in a car or in a building. When you are out in the wild yourself with no, no barriers to that bear. Now that's happened to me three times in my life. Um, all three times I was out on some kind, of, uh, some kind of exercise, one time running, one time biking, one time rollerblading. I don't rollerblade anymore. Mainly because I can't stop. Like when I try to stop, it's like this spinning thing and then it's like, oh, oh I, I, I landed it. Good. Well, all the times were epic. Um, the time I was rollerblading was the most epic. I remember when I was running, I was, I was out for a run and about 100 yards away I saw a bear and it, it looked at me and it just turned around because it turned around to get away from me because I'm scary <laughs> like that. And 
it jumped like six feet over some brush. I was, I was young, and maybe it was three feet, but I'm saying it was six feet. It was really cool, okay? The time I was on my bike, I was on a road bike, and I was coming up, just cresting over a hill, and I stopped dead in my tracks because about 200 yards away, I'm making up all those numbers, by the way. I'm just guessing. 200 yards away, there is a mama bear and two cubs. Now, that's a little scary. Now, somebody was driving the other way, had Illinois license plates. Now, up in Monaco, we never used to think that Illinois people were all that friendly, but this guy stopped for me. He's like, hey, you want me to drive so that you can stay behind me and, and, and away from the, the, the bear that'll kill? Yes, I would love for that. And so he kept me safe. I was awesome. But the most epic moment seeing a bear in my life was definitely the time I was on my rollerblades. About, I, you have to understand, I lived literally in the woods. Growing up, our house was, it was here, and then it was woods. All around it. Now they went and they, they actually paved some of the roads. <laughs> they, they weren't always paved, everybody. And they paved this one road about a half, it went a half mile away from my house until the town line stopped and then it was gravel. Well, I went out on the roadways one day and I'm, I get to the spot and I turn around and I'm going around this big corner and there's a quarter mile straightaway. And at the end of that quarter mile straightaway, all of a sudden, I see this very large black bear start walking across the road. Now I'm freaking out, because you gotta understand this. I'm thinking, okay, if, to get away, if this bear comes at me, if I turn around, I'm not getting away from it because I'm gonna hit gravel on rollerblades and that's gonna be ugly. I'm also thinking, if I start running into the woods with my rollerblades on to get to my house, I'm gonna die. Because <laughs> bear, bear are actually pretty good at running in the woods, I don't know if you know that. And so, I'm thinking all this in my head, and all of a sudden the bear in the middle of the road stops and he looks at me. And he looks at me for like 10 minutes straight. It was actually like four seconds, but if, like in my brain, there's 10 minutes of thinking going on, like what's going And finally the bear walks away. But now I'm still like, okay, how long do I wait here? Because I'm going to the same place that that bear just was. I don't want to do that. Do you see how in the epic moments of your life, you remember all the details? Maybe for you it's 9-11. You remember things about that morning that you never thought you could know about a morning 20 years ago. Maybe if you're a little bit older than, than me, my, my parents also used to talk about the, the day that JFK was shot. And you remember details about it that, that you wouldn't otherwise memorize, but it was an epic day. And what we're going to be talking about today was, I think, one of the most epic days in the life of Jesus. There's a lot of epic days in the life of Jesus, but this one, ah, this one is up there. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And just to kind of set it up for you, what happened before this, Jesus was having his last supper with his best friends. Twelve of his best, eleven of his best friends. One of them wasn't such a good friend. That friend left the dinner to go and sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But these friends, after this dinner, Jesus says, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's go up to the garden. Let's pray. And this, this garden had been a place of refuge for Jesus over the years. A place where he could pray, he could get away, and he could find peace with his father. This day, things were going to be a little different than they, than they usually were. Today wasn't going to be quite the same kind of peace that he was going to, re, going to receive in that garden. And frankly, you're going to see in the story, his, his disciples, his best friends, they were kind of bored in the garden. They didn't think there was anything really happening. But this is one of those epic moments that we need to know about. So we're looking at this story in Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. 
says this, they went to a, a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning, to the, returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Can't help but when you read that, you're thinking, if, like if you've ever had a teenager before, like these disciples sound like teenagers. They ain't getting out of bed. Like they won't wake up. But can you feel the heaviness that's on Jesus in this story? There is a heaviness that Jesus is feeling here. And if, and if you read this and you look at it, like you can, you can feel that heaviness with him. This is a, the garden, like I said, this is the garden where he would go to pray and he would find peace. But in this moment, there is no such thing happening for him. There is no peace coming into the spirit of Jesus. There's a guy named W.L. Lane that says, Jesus came to Gethsemane to be with the Father before his betrayal. But hell, rather than heaven, opened up before him. There's such a lack of peace going on that he got up three more times and went back to pray to just to try to get that sense of comfort. But there was nothing but anguish meeting him. You've probably had experiences like that before. If you're a Christian and you've prayed before, you've, you've probably had experiences like this. You go to pray and, and you, you kind of keep going back to pray it until because you just want resolution. God, I want to feel some sense of peace and resolution in this situation. But I think you see in the story of Jesus here, there was no resolution happening. Sometimes we need, to, we need to maybe be willing to pray without that resolution and just give our trust over to God. It's really what, what Jesus was doing here in this moment. One thing I think we need to take from the story of Jesus in the garden is this. The suffering of Jesus was epic. There is no one who has ever lived who I believe has suffered the kind of suffering that Jesus suffered. And I believe a lot of that suffering was taking place right here in the garden. And you might say, well, Kellen, he, later on he went and he got, he got beaten and he got tortured. And then he was, he was put up on a cross and he died on that cross. That's where the, that's where the suffering really took place. But I think there's actually a, a deeper level to this suffering that we see with Jesus. Look at what Mark writes in Mark 14 verse 33 says, Jesus took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Deeply distressed and troubled. Now that, that word that we see translated as distressed, the Greek word for that is ekthembeo. And it's, I find it really interesting what is the actual definition, the definition of that word, if you look at it to the T, it is to be put into terror. He's saying that 
this distress that Jesus had, Jesus was in a place where he was feeling terror. Have you ever thought of Jesus as being the guy who could actually feel terror? Like, I think of Jesus like he is Superman without the kryptonite. Like, there is nothing that can, can rattle Jesus whatsoever. My daughter, we were in the car yesterday, and I don't know if we were listening to a song, but the word kryptonite came up. And my daughter Sadie asked her mom, hey mom, what's kryptonite? And I just happened to be getting out of the car to go get something out of the house when she asked that and came back in. And I entered the car again and I looked at everybody and I, I realized my wife did not do a good job of describing what kryptonite was. After the first sermon today, she came up to, she said to me, she's like, Kellen, I actually said it was, it was like the thing that makes him strong. I'm like, no, learn your superheroes, lady, come on. Krypton, so I'm like, daughter, here's what kryptonite is. It is this rock from Krypton that Superman, when he gets, when he's around kryptonite on earth, it makes him weak for some reason. So kryptonite is what makes you weak. So I said to her, that boy that you maybe have a crush on, that's your kryptonite. Stay away. <laughs> and then she's like, mom's your kryptonite. I'm like, yeah, you're right she is. I like her a lot. I think of Jesus like a Superman without a kryptonite, but maybe, just maybe, Jesus has a kryptonite. You look at the other word here, translated for, as troubled in this passage. It's the Greek word adamaneo. And that word means heavy. We've already talked about that. Jesus, there was a heaviness put on Jesus that was unlike anything anybody's ever experienced. A heaviness that was so heavy that he had the temptation to want to run. When you get a heaviness at work or you get a heaviness uh, uh, what's going on in your home life. I don't know about you, but the temptation for me a lot of times when things get really heavy, I don't, I don't always want to dig in more to the work. I want to get away. I want to do whatever I can not to think about the heaviness that's going on. It's, it's called procrastination. And we're, I'm really good at it. I don't know about you. I want to run. And I think actually you see here this heaviness is one causing Jesus to want to run. What is it that's so heavy on Jesus' heart that he's asking the Father to let it pass from him? What's so heavy that he literally got to the breaking point where terror was entering into his thoughts? Mark 14, 34, Jesus said to his friends, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Man, it's hard for me to see Jesus saying that. Jesus is saying, it's, I'm overcome to the point of death, you guys. That's a pretty sobering thought to hear Jesus saying those words. It's easy to think that Jesus was just scared of the physical torture that he was about to go through. Let's be real. If you've ever watched The, the Passion of the Christ, or you've ever studied Roman executions at all, what Jesus experienced on a physical level is beyond anything that you would ever hope even for your, your worst enemy. Absolutely awful torture. But you know what? I actually believe people have died in worse ways. I believe people have been tortured in worse ways. And I, and I even go out there to say this. While we've seen that other people maybe have suffered even worse on a physical level, it almost seems like they, some of those people have maybe done it with less despair than we see Jesus in the garden experiencing. What is it that Jesus is experiencing? See, I don't think his despair is, is completely about this impending physical violence that was going to take over his life. 
It's because he knew that he was about to take on the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, everybody's sin. And that sin was going to separate him from this relationship that he had with his father. That is what is bringing on the terror in Jesus' heart. He, can't even, he, he doesn't even want to think about going through this kind of experience. And that's why I can stand here and say that I believe Jesus suffered more than any person has ever suffered in the history of mankind. He took on the sins of you and me. And unfortunately, Jesus' friends, they, they weren't backing up their, their rabbi the way that you would hope that they would back him up. There was, there was this, they couldn't, they couldn't keep their eyes awake. They were falling asleep. Time and time again, Jesus comes back and those guys are asleep again. I wonder how heartbroken he was every time he came back and saw them asleep. You know, there's always spiritual things going on in the world. And here's the thing. You and I, we look at the, we look at the disciples in this story and I, get, I say this a lot. I get annoyed at the disciples all the time when I read this stuff. They just, they, they never seem to get things. They always mess things up. They're falling asleep when Jesus asks them to pray. But you and I, we've got hindsight to look at. We, we look at this situation and we realize Jesus is about to go to the cross. Disciples, stay awake. He's, he's asking you to do one little thing. You got one job. Stay awake. Couldn't do it. But I wonder how many times are we not realizing the spiritual things that are going on? How many times is, is God saying, wouldn't you just pray for your kid a little bit longer? Wouldn't you just pray for your kid a little bit more? And instead, we're in the garden sleeping. While these things that are important that are happening, we're missing the boat. We're falling asleep at the wheel. All right, so we're just like the disciples. So let's not be too annoyed at them for falling asleep. But I want, to see, I want you to see something else that Jesus is doing here. Jesus is talking about his emotions in this passage in a way that we never see him talk about his emotions throughout the Bible. Like, you don't see Jesus talk about his emotions. Why is, why is Jesus talking about his emotions in this situation? He's at the worst moment of his life, and yet he has the guts to find, to, he, brings all, he brings all 11 of these disciples, and then he brings three of them a little bit further, and he tells them, guys, I'm so crushed to the point that I feel like I'm going to die. He's got friends who he feels like he can talk to about his deepest, darkest emotions. Now, I think this should be a model for us. You guys out there who don't like to talk, let's be real though, women have just as much, you know, quietly holding, holding back the things that you feel like society is, is expecting out of you. And we hold things back and we don't talk. We don't have communication with friends that we know will back us up, who are there for us. Jesus is showing that right here there's, it's important for us to have connection. It's important for us to have friendship. It's important for us to have friends who are also trying to follow Jesus who we can talk to. Unfortunately for Jesus, his friends didn't back him up the way that you'd want. But here's also something awesome that I think that we can see here. Um, a guy named Ch Tim Challey says this, Neglecting to meet with God's people is a sign of overwhelming and outrageous pride. I don't know if that hits you but it hits me. When I'm not willing to connect with a fellow believer, it might, it might be me saying, I don't believe that you're gonna, I don't believe that you're gonna be there for me when I need you. It might be me saying, I don't believe that my gifts are needed in your life. It might be you saying, I don't think that your gifts are needed in my life. 
God gave us the church for a reason. God gave us community for a reason. And Jesus shows us right here in the deepest, darkest moments of his life. He reached out to his friends and he spoke and he, he, he let them know what his emotions were at that point. Again, they, they weren't the best of friends in that moment. They didn't know, they didn't really get what was going on. But fortunately for us, Jesus can actually overcome those moments where the people around us maybe don't live up to our expectation. I want you to hear this. Jesus is always in tune with the heaviness that you're feeling because he's felt something deeper. He's not a friend who sleeps when you're in a bad place, but instead he's awake and he's interceding for you. Even when the people around you don't, don't add up and don't live up to what you want them to, Jesus will. We talked about this a few months back in a series. Uh, this comes from Romans 8.34. It says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Because the suffering of Jesus was so great, we can actually trust that he empathizes with us where we're at. He's been there. Whatever your suffering is, his suffering was on an even deeper level. He took on the sins of all the world. And so what we know about Jesus is he is able and willing to empathize with us where we're at our darkest. And that's actually what I want to say makes Jesus different than all the other religious leaders. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks back and he was saying, you know, I just don't see any difference between Jesus and Muhammad and whoever else. And I'm saying, no, this is what makes Jesus different. Jesus taking on your sin and my sin and suffering in a way that nobody else has for you, for me, that's what makes him different. And so the suffering of Jesus was epic, but there's also something else that's epic in this story. And that's that the surrender of Jesus is epic. He might have suffered more than anybody, surrendered more than, suffered more than anybody else has, but he also surrendered in this story more than anyone else has ever surrendered. Jesus didn't want to die. At least we know that Jesus didn't want to die with the sin of all of us on him. Like, that was, that was so crushing on him at this point. But here's something I think that is really, really encouraging in this story. There are going to be times where you're going to say, man, I know, I know Jesus maybe wants me to do this. There is, it's the last thing I want to do. I think God has grace for us. Even Jesus, we see, it wasn't his first desire to go to the cross for us. But his willingness to let go of that and to do whatever the Father wanted him to do, that shows us who Jesus really is at the core. That he was willing to surrender whatever it was he needed to surrender for you and for me. We find that that's our only way to fulfillment. And so what I, what I want to do in the remaining time that we've got here, I'm asking Eric to come up. And he's going to share a story um, about his time in Israel in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think it can give us insight into even what Jesus was going through, but also this idea of what surrender looks like. Here's Eric. Cool. Thanks, man. So yeah, I don't want to share this story. I mean, I don't. <laughs> because it's a personal and it's a tough one. Um, but I think it's really, um, I, it's been impactful in my life. Um, Karen was with me. We, uh, we went to Israel a, a few years ago, and um, <clears throat> which was really great. Uh, but can I tell you, when you're on a trip to Israel, 
if I never see another Catholic church built on the site of whatever, again, it's, it'll be too soon. I just don't care. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the, another Catholic church or whatever church built on the site of, you know, here's where Jesus was born. And this is, which wasn't really where he was born probably. And, you know, all that stuff. I saw a million Catholic churches. So David says one morning, hey, we're going to end up going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And guess what's there? A Catholic church. Great. One more Catholic church. So we get there and we walk in the, the doors to the regular place and it is like wall to wall people. And it is, you know, there's like a couple of olive trees. And, but I mean, I'm talking like shoulder to shoulder people. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? And then uh, our, our tour guide goes across the street to this, uh, to, there's like a, a, a stone wall and a little gate, and she bribes the, the gatekeeper, $2 a person, to let us into a private garden, the private garden. And, and so we, we all kind of, there's maybe 20 or 30 of us, and we all um, kind of shuffle into this, uh, this private garden, and it was beautiful. I mean, it was so cool. It, it was like you could picture it. It was, it was just a grove of olive trees, which is what it was when Jesus was there. It was right on the site that this story happens. And I, maybe you don't care about that, but there was something really profound in that for me. And, um, and David, you know, we, we read this scripture. And David, David studied, helped us study this uh, scripture. He talked about it. And then we all kind of broke off and grabbed our own tree and, you know, like sat underneath it and just spent some time with God. And I, you know, you know I don't know. Um, I, don't, I didn't know it was going to happen in my heart. But I, what I probably should share is that uh, this trip happened at a really, uh, maybe one of the most difficult points of my life. Um, my dad had just died, and um, he has been sort of the foundation on which our family is, you know, he is, he was my, my person. He was my rock. He was always, and, and so I was, I was struggling through that, though I wasn't really allowing myself to feel any emotions on it. Um, I was still holding on to what it was. Um, and then at the same time, uh, I know some of you guys know this, but my wife was diagnosed, just, had just been diagnosed with a degenerative genetic condition, uh, muscular, uh, I'm sorry, with a, uh, her um, connective tissue disorder. And, um, and so it, the truth is, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was going through something where I had to let go of some of the most important things in my life. The, the connection that I had with my dad, I had to let go of it. The, and, and the truth was I, was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was grieving the life that we thought we ha would have. Mandy and myself. You know, our kids were just getting out of high school and we were going to have an empty nest and we were going to travel and we we're going to do all these great things and fun things and big things. And I realized um, that we weren't going to have that, that whole plan, that whole dream, the life that we had set up just wasn't going to happen that way. And I, I, I was really coming to terms with it. And, I, and so we walked into that garden. And I sat under that tree. And I remember I picked up the dirt. Because I was thinking, this is the dirt. This is the dirt that Jesus was on. And I, I let the dirt kind of crumble through my fingers. And I thought through this 
Scripture. And I thought, this moment for Jesus, as he, as he sat in this garden, this moment was the moment that he let go of his life. And it's so clear in Scripture, and the way that Kellen just talked about it was so perfect, because it's so clear, this was not an easy thing. Uh, we, we think of Jesus as like floating above everything, and, and everything comes easy for him because he's God. It is clear that that's not how it was. He was in anguish, and I, I started feeling the anguish myself. And, you know, I'm self-centered. My anguish had to do with my life. But I thought to myself, this moment, this moment for Jesus, sitting in this garden, was the moment he let go. He probably had dreams for his life. He probably had things that he, he wanted to accomplish, people that he wanted to help. He loved his friends and didn't want to leave them. It's clear that he... He wasn't ready for this to happen. He asked God, please, if there's any way that I don't have to do this, please let this cup pass from me. But, and here's where everything hinges. Here is the moment that he let go of his life. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Not what I want, what you want. Jesus is saying, I have things that I wish it could be, but I don't want it to be what I want. I want it to be what you want. Can I be honest with you? I want what I want. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I have dreams. I wish that I could hold on to the dreams that Mandy and I had for all of those years, but I don't get all the things that I want. And I realized sitting in that garden that God was asking me to let go of some of the most important things in my life. He was asking me to let go of my dad and everything that I needed from him or thought I needed from him. He was asking me to let go of my dreams, of my future with my wife, you know? He was asking me to let go of the things that I held most dear. And he said, I asked Jesus to let go of his very life. And he said, yes. And I asked myself, you know, if God, if God were to ask me to let go of the things I hold most dear, what are those things? My girls, right? My, I got two fantastic daughters. My wife. The ministry I get to do, the, the dreams that I hope to experience. If God asks me to let go of that, am I willing to say, not my will, but yours be done? Can I be honest with you? The answer is no. No. I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready, but I knew in that moment that God was calling me to learn to let go. And so... Um, I, I would love to say that I had this like profound spiritual encounter and everything was great after that. But here's what I will say. I had a profound spiritual encounter and it began something in me. You know what I started when I got home? I started counseling. You know, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be the one doing the counseling. I needed the counseling. I needed somebody to teach me what it looked like to let go of my dad. I didn't know how to grieve him. 
I needed somebody to teach me to, to learn to grieve the life that I thought I was going to live for the next 40 years. I had to learn how to, to let go of that. Jesus asked, God set up this thing where I have to learn to let go. And let's be honest, through our lives, this is a, a running theme. God is going to ask you to let go of things that you love. And the question is, what is your response Jesus' response was, not my will, but yours be done. And I want my response to mirror him. And so I want to learn to let go. I want to learn to let go of my, I mean, I love my girls. I'm not let go of relationship, but I want to let go of the emotional hold that that desperate need that I have for them holds on me. Do you hear what I'm saying? That when my daughter calls and she's crying and she lives in Florida, it takes everything in me not to buy a plane ticket to go be there with her. You know what I mean? There's an emotional hold. I've got to learn to let go because I don't own any of it. I don't own my family. I don't own my future. I don't get to decide. Not my will, but yours be done. And so I thought I would ask you today, is there, is there something God wants to whisper over your life to say you're holding way too tightly? Is there something you need to let go? I, I decided in that moment that I was going to let go of my life. I didn't know how I was going to do it, and I'm still working on it. I haven't done it. But I am working on letting go of my life. Not, not needing my own way. And so I wanted to invite you. I wondered if there's something in you that God might speak over your life. You're holding too tightly to this. You need to let go of it. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.